0: Welcome back Rebels. Welcome back. I'm really sad David.
1: Oh why are you sad mate?
0: Because I feel like a lot of people are putting in lots of hard work and it's just not getting seen.
1: Yeah Um, I think that's that's like 90% of people. Uh, I think to become that that upper 10% is what everyone's striving to and it feels like there's a magic formula to it and then sometimes we put all of this work in and it just doesn't happen and there's there's something missing but it's very very yeah. hard to put your finger on what.
0: Yeah, there's been like I've kind of noticed a lot recently where I've just been scrolling on Instagram and these are all people I follow. So these are people I technically like their stuff and like what they put out. Mm. And I'm just scrolling past them and I'm not paying any attention to it. Especially if it's a video. I feel like videos are the worst where I scroll and literally if it's not caught my attention within 2 seconds I'm just on to the next thing yeah and it's funny because I'm I've actually subscribed to these people so I should care about what they're putting out yet I'm just scrolling straight past I don't know if that's like just we're so used to seeing certain things now that you see it and you just kind of like scroll past it because you kind of you kind of know what it's going to be before it's even started so how do you kind of make it so you actually stop people in their tracks and stand out
1: yeah, it's very difficult. And, and again, I've said it before on the show, I think you need to go to what works for you. And if we're talking about Instagram, the save feature, I think is a, is a button that not many people use. But um, if something like jumps out at you, and no matter what field it is, even if it's something way off what you do. So if you're a um, singer, and you're following a food channel, if the food channel does something that makes you stop, use the Instagram save button and just start to build up a collection of things that have made you stop rather than listening to us and listening to all of the advice on the internet that that tells you to do these certain things which pe- then, then spreads very fast and people pick up on all these things and it's like oh I need to be doing carousels because that's hot right now and it's like well carousels have been done for the past sort of six months to a year now to get people to actually spend that time scrolling through, you've got to hit them within that very first button. What are you going to do that's going to grab people's attention during that? Save all the ones that are working for you. So it's like, yeah, maybe you can use carousels, but how are you going to grab people's attention? It's, I think, very quickly, and, and now in the internet age, is is it's faster than ever before, that a tactic works for a short period of time until it becomes oversaturated by everyone going, oh, this works, and then... And th- and then all of a sudden it's like everyone's doing it, so it's not yeah. special anymore, and you've got to innovate.
0: Yeah, like everyone knows that person that has created some form of something that's done well on the internet, and then just seen it completely replicated. Uh, so I feel like yeah, if you can be that person to create that thing to do something for yourself that people other people could copy, that's a really interesting way to think of it. And I love the idea you said there about the like saving a basically a folder that's just these things caught my attention. And I think when you have them then it's kind of, it's worth actually sitting down and going through them and be like, what is it about this that caught my attention? And then start to do things like that. And I don't mean just like copying exactly what that is, but look at the formula, look at what they did at certain times in the video that made it stand out. What was it about the intro? Like you don't necessarily have to copy the exact way, it, the look of it, but just what was it about that that stood out, that caught your attention? Um, that's really interesting. because I think so much of what like happens on YouTube is it all comes down to that thumbnail, like you're scrolling videos, what is it about an image that is going to make you click on it? And I know like the click-through rates on, like there's so much kind of science goes into the click-through rates on YouTube. It is just one image, like how can you sell a video to someone? How can you sell something you've put maybe weeks worth of work into one image? And it is worth spending that time on creating those things. Like there's a guy called um, Mr. Beast who is just absolutely huge on on YouTube I think he spends something like six hours or something putting together like the perfect thumbnail because he's generally spent like thousands of pounds or thousands of dollars creating these videos so you, you have to click on it like think about like if you're going to spend a day creating a video how much time you're actually spending getting people to click on that video like that is the most important thing to do because uh, yeah as I'm scrolling on Instagram I'm going to see a video and there's going to be like that someone's going to spend time on that probably at least an hour if it's a video and i've scrolled past it in half a second and that is so that's what i'm kind of frustrated about that it's it's so sad that people are putting in all this work and no one's actually taking the time to see it
1: yeah i was talking to to one of our listeners about this recently and it for me is like i was just thinking about presentations so um she creates these amazing um pencil drawings and i'm looking at my own art based content and realising that every time I post a video using Instagram Reels, I get so much more interaction than if I just post a still image. So, yeah. so it's about presentation. It's about thinking like, because I'm going to paint that wall no matter what, the wall is going to happen. But then it comes down to how I then present that to the outside world. And if I, pres- I know now that if I present it in video format, through using different things I've learned through basically practicing on TikTok. Um, because TikTok for me was very like, very like low bar to entry. Like I didn't mind experimenting there. I didn't mind fucking up there. I didn't mind if I had a video that didn't get many views on there because it was kind of getting to grips with video as a, a format I'd never used before. Yeah, um, And I think I'd never use video because it's funny. We've got the podcast, like obviously we're out there, we're speaking all the time, but it's like, for me and my artwork, I've always kept myself very separate and I'd, I'd never done video because I didn't want to, the personality of me like coming over into my artwork, I've always been funny yeah. about. TikTok seemed to be a place where I could just kind of experiment risk-free. And through everything that I've learned there, I've brought that over to Instagram and, and it's been really successful. And I, I spoke before on here about the the video that I did that's had 1.5 million views. And I was kind of like analyzing it again. So when I spoke about it last time, I said, I'd, I'd put it up really quickly, which is true because I I was annoyed with the Reels format that it wasn't the same as TikTok. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, they're just ripping off TikTok. I was actually a bit pissed off with Instagram. <laughs> so the very, very first one I did is the one that got 1.5 million views. And I just did it very quickly. And I didn't even think of, I, I picked a song that they suggested for me. It's mm-hmm. not a band that I'm interested in. Imagine Dragons, I don't listen to their stuff. I was just like, oh, that'll do. And then the caption that I wrote was 15 seconds of painting. And that got me thinking the other day of like, I was like, oh, yeah, it was just a throwaway line, like 15 seconds of painting. But actually, that's actually a really good title because it tells people you're going to experience something in 15 seconds here it's not going to take any more of your time have you got 15 seconds to spare you're going to see something be painted and i think most people i think because the the longer watch time that you have on that the more it's going to show to other people so i Mm -hmm. think people watch the entire video because they knew it was only going to cost them 15 seconds and so actually through analyzing it i've realized like maybe there's things that i can do with my captions that are going to get that buy-in because you you've got a couple of seconds of them seeing what's happening on the screen and then they're probably going to read the first few lines of copy so and I, I that's something i've definitely noticed on tiktok if you can get the caption right on tiktok you can absolutely explode your video if you get it wrong you can get zero views so yeah. it comes down to things like on tiktok i've said things like um let me know if you see this it's just that's just a call to action to the audience that if they see it to leave a comment because Mm -hmm. i know that the more comments i get the the more that that video is going to be seeded out
0: there's so many tangents with that and like a youtube video because i suppose if you look at like your caption in both of those formats are effectively your thumbnail that's the small thing that people are going to see for a few seconds that's going to make them decide whether they're going to watch it or not and yes i think that is yes like 15 seconds people most people online, if they're on a social media platform, they're not on there for and they're not so they're going to be on there for a long time, but they're not intending to be on there for a long time. <laughs> yeah. So I think, so I think they're not on it. It's not like Netflix where they're like, okay, I'm going to sit and watch this for a really extended period of time. They're going to want short, quick, snappy things because even if they don't think they want that, that's what their brain wants. That kind of qu- really quick little bits of like, oh, this is good, this is good, this is good. So I suppose. And, but the brain's obviously really in like brain's obviously really conscious about what it spends its time on too so if you can basically say to someone look it's only 50, 15 seconds this is going to happen in this time period then people are a lot more likely to go along with it whereas if it said two hours and 46 minutes of painting no one would have watched that video because they'd have been like well I haven't got that amount of time whereas I've got 15 seconds I can dedicate that to that
1: yeah it's so funny like the amount of messages that I get from people going oh, I'd love to watch you paint I'm like you you really don't like you're going to be so bored because you're used to the fun of the 15 seconds that you see online yeah and you don't realize that this takes me a fucking long time and you're going to be well <laughs> yeah. bored
0: yeah I remember like seven so times we used to talk about well how when people would come and watch it's like it's literally watching paint dry like that <laughs> phrase exists for a reason because it's really dull and yes you might see like it's better to kind of come back at certain periods in the day rather than just sit and watch the whole thing because not much happens within an hour, but over that whole time period, which is why the videos work so well when they're condensed into a short 15 second thing because you can get the full experience in a really short period of time. And I think as well, when it comes to just the story of it, it's like people like things changing. And if you can make things change within that really short period of time, that's when it gets really interesting. If you have a video or a piece of content that you land on it and it's like just starting really, like it starts in a really boring way. So for example, like when people go and do like vlogs, if someone starts a vlog and it's just like, oh, I'm waking up this morning. Here's me making a coffee. Here's me going to do this. It's like, I I just don't care. Whereas if it kind of like starts with, today I'm gonna do this absolutely crazy thing and then they give you a snippet of it and then they get up make a coffee do these things yes then yeah. i'm going to actually continue to watch through it because i'm like oh there's obviously something good gonna happen here yeah because if you they've were told like, me
1: yeah if you were like I'm, I'm gonna say yes to every question that i get asked today then I, i'm yeah. bought in straight away
0: yeah like what's going to happen there's like a tease there of like so like i don't know what's going to happen in this video and i think that's where it gets really exciting where it's not just it's not predictable it's like this mystery this level of like what could happen and I think if you can create that and make it so something comes up and you're like oh yeah actually I, I want to find out more and I think where like carousels as we talked about before where they do well is when the first slide is something that you're like if I can't not scroll past this yeah, it's like it's asking me something or it's telling me something that I feel like I'm going to miss out if I don't scroll across to the next slide So I think, yeah, what can you do within your videos or your content to make people actually stay there and make people want to read on? And there's a kind of, the word clickbait is obviously very, very negative, but I think it's really important to think about that kind of click through and that catching people's attention. And I think as long as you can get something that's catchy, that you're still going to commit to that promise of this is what it's going to be. Like if you say, oh, here's 10 strange things that are going to happen to you. you today and then you're like and then you go through to the article and it's not that and you've instantly lost the trust of those people and then it might work the first time to get them through but then the next time they come to your video or your content or whatever it is they're not going to watch it because they're like you tricked me last time so I'm not going to go for it again so it's building up that trust with an audience where you've said you're going to commit to something this is what you've said can happen within this piece of content what you're going to learn from it what you're going to get from it and then you've actually followed through with that
1: Yeah, and I love what you say about clickbait because, like, we need to embrace clickbait. Like, if you're listening to this right now, you need those fucking clicks. Like, you need the clicks, otherwise you're fucked. So, like... Yeah, you, you have to work out clickbait. And I, I think that's exactly why we hate the word clickbait is because normally it's something that's getting you to click on it that then actually doesn't deliver. It's like the amount yeah. of times I've clicked, you'll never believe what this celebrity looks now and then you don't actually <laughs> yeah. see the celebrity. I'm not like, really wanting to see what they look like now. Um, but like as long as you do deliver, because then that that is your reputation, which is in turn your brand. So you are presenting something that... that you always deliver on and people are going to learn and know and trust you and that kind of wraps round to me the first thought that comes into my head is is a youtuber that i watch of like all of his videos have got uh the the silly like um thumbnail that that brings new people into his yeah into his sphere but i continue to watch because i know what i'm going to get on each video and i know it's yeah. what i want to see and when i'm eating my lunch and i'm watching him play super mario like that's what i'm there for and that's dope
0: Yeah there's something really interesting I heard the other day as well about about that kind of trust and like building building content that you know is going to perform because it's like I'll watch YouTubers who do content around things I'm interested in and every now and again they'll do a daily vlog and I if if I didn't know who they were I wouldn't watch that but because I've built up that relationship with these people like in my mind they're people that I know I can trust for a good piece of content I'll sit and watch through it whereas they're not going to get new people in from that because the people who don't know who they are already aren't going to find them. So I think there's definitely like that balance of doing things for your audience and doing things for new people. But the stuff for new people is just so important. Like it has to be something that grabs people's attention. Like unless your content is so good that people are actually going to go and search for it. So like they won't have to see it in the feed. You can just, they're going to go into their search bar, type in that user's name. Like what, that's a really good thing to analyse. Like, who do you do that for? Like, instead of just waiting for it to come up on your feed, who do you actually type their name in to see what they've been up to lately, just in case you've missed it, and take notes of what those people are doing as well, because they're going against any algorithm. They're literally, they've created some content that's so good that you're going to go and seek it out, even if an algorithm's not showing it to you.
1: That's the key, isn't it? Is is the content being so good, and and I think that's that's really. I mean, there's, there's been a a kind of a lot of tactical stuff in this, in this discussion, but really what it boils down to is, is like make fucking good stuff. Like if you're making good art, whatever your art is, if, if you're doing something truly unique, then that's, what's going to capture people. And that's, that's a hard journey. It's like hard to Mm -hmm. find your style. It's hard to, to set yourself apart from everyone else yesterday we got a message on our Instagram at rebels create from a listener and I I clicked onto her page and just instantly I was sold I was just like you're doing something that I've never seen before it's Helen Kirkham sneakers and she remixes trainers so she cuts up loads of old shoes and like glues them together and, and makes brand new shoes from like old like recycles old shoes I was like I've never seen anything like this before it's incredible it looks amazing and she's got you can see she's got like a big following and when you look at her feed it's like okay i I know what i'm getting here it's it's new i'm not going to get it from any well maybe there are other accounts doing are doing it but i've not seen them and like you can see that's why she's doing well because um the example that we always give on here is harris newcomb it's like we've had harris on the show before he's just a phenomenal photographer that that and and when we said to him like well what's your social media strategy he's like oh i i I post my photos online and it's like that's literally it and he doesn't go oh i must post at 7 p.m because that's the best time for engagement or whatever it's like if he posts something people pay attention because it's so fucking good
0: yeah and i think he's a perfect example of like he's someone who i will actually if i've not seen his content come up on my feed for a while because the algorithm hasn't served it to me i will type his name in to go and see what he's been up to recently and i think that just comes down to the quality of his work so if you can create work that is genuinely good enough that people will search it out then yeah that that's that's the winner
1: yeah and and like just believe that you can get to that stage it's yeah. like cuz it won't happen quickly I, there's a twitter trend at the moment where people post up um how it started how it's going and they put like like two pictures up I, I posted um, I posted one of those and then I, I put it on my Instagram story and it's like the amount of DMs I got from it is like outperformed anything that I've ever put up before. Yeah, just hundreds and hundreds of messages because all of a sudden people could see that I wasn't born with this amazing gift of being able to paint. Like no, yeah. I sucked. I was shit. And so my how it began picture is just a, a like one of my first graffiti paintings that was really like crap, and the how it's going is one of my pieces painted recently and I think it's it's so important to remind yourself like look at at the progression of other creators and if you're on those beginning stages it's like that's why you're listening to this podcast that's why you're doing what you're doing is because you're trying to get to that elite stage and knowing that that's a possible place to get to all it's going to take is the hard work and dedication and if you've got the grit to push through that you're you're going to get to that that other end it might take you five years it might take you ten um but, but even when you get to that five year, like, or that three, like the three year, the magic three years that we talk about, yeah. that's when you really start to notice the change and you're like, okay, I'm, I've got a handle on this now. And then from then on, it's just like, it's just getting better and better from that point.
0: Yeah, and I think a perfect example of standing out and just doing something different is this week's guest, magic. Like, he has just completely changed what people's opinions are of politicians
1: yeah absolutely like the way that he would dress the way that he would present himself it's like uh, there was obviously a lot of people that are going to criticize that and he came under like loads of controversy followed him but he did things on his own terms and for most people it was a breath of fresh air it's like i don't think he could walk down sheffield high street without like it taking him two hours because everyone's like stopping and shaking his hand and giving him a high five like um the dude completely turned politics on its on its head and, and is just doing things in a completely different way and as a result we want to speak to him. it's like because exactly he's doing yeah, something yeah. different it's like it's that it's a perfect case study do different shit get people's attention because attention is is as gary v says like attention is everything that's what you want because everything that you want to build is based on other people's attention
0: exactly so let's get into this week's episode
1: Yes, Majid Majid is an MEP for the Green Party and the former Lord Mayor of Sheffield. We've never had a politician on the show before because we've never found one that would be a good fit, someone without ulterior motives who believes that doing the right thing is the right thing. That was until we met Majid.
0: In this episode, we talk about controversy, politics and standing up for what you believe in.
2: But the thing is, it's to do something. Like, inaction is the worst thing you can do. Hi, Majid. Hello. Welcome to the show, dude. How are you doing? I am doing great, thank you very much.
1: Um, I've got a bit of a weird question for the for the first one. Um, what is a politician? Because in researching you, you've kind of opened my eyes to what a politician is or what a politician could be, and made me question my pre-existing um, kind of view of that, which maybe a lot of people might have as well. So, what is a politician?
2: It's a tough question do you know what it is? it's like you, you, you're totally right like we've all been socially conditioned to some degree to kind of expect what a politician is meant to look like what background they come from what even what class or what they studied like PPE like it's such a big thing that a lot of politicians have kind of studied before so it's and um, I guess it's just in, in it's kind of Basic term, the politician is someone who's elected into office, wherever that could be on a councillor level, or could be in a parish council, to city council, to member of parliament, member of European parliament. But I guess the role of it is to kind of represent the kind of people that kind of put you in place. But I guess what we're kind of seeing at the moment is that the people that we are our leaders do not reflect the people that they're there to represent. Yeah. And I think that's why then we kind of have massive disparities in terms of um, inequalities and everything. And I just kind of think like, if you look at the government cabinet, for example, they majority come from a certain background, majority of millionaires. So like how they really meant to understand the devastating impacts of austerity or what child poverty really means. And yet they're making decisions that are going to affect everybody In this country, so um, it's 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 a real issue. That's really interesting because
0: I feel like on this show, quite a lot, we talk about if you can't see it, you can't be it. As in, if you're Mm. like a young person and you can't see someone in power, like of like of someone who looks like you, like you just think, oh well, that's something I can't be. But then what you just said there makes me think about it's the other way too. Like if you're a politician and you you don't know what another kind of lifestyle is like, you can't if you can't see it, you can't. Be it like you can't help those people. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 one hundred percent true, and it's like it's uh, even like the recent events and stuff like that's been Even like the attack of the head, and, and I always kind of like in terms of I know there's been lots of constant u-turns. Even recently during the whole pandemic, you've had billionaires keep on getting rich, and you're yeah, the ones who've benefited from uh, the whole situation. Whereas where Expecting to see another uh, massive stage of austerity and the people are suffering all like the local businesses people in the arts and And I can't help but kind of think That the government have really made an active decision not to support the arts because for me art really engenders empathy And it's really really hard to be empath to be an empathetic person and vote conservative so it's in their best interest and it's like it's it's just it's it's really troublesome to be honest. And I guess in in every sector, it's always people, the most vulnerable people, who are and suffering the most.
1: Yeah, I mean, so the other day, um, Rishi Sunak came out with the the edict that if you're a creative, uh, now's the best time to start retraining and abandon your hopes and dreams and uh, get into a new career. Which, uh, given that the amount that the Creative industries brings into this country seems like the most ridiculous suggestion I've ever heard.
2: Yeah, hey, do you know what baffles me? Like the conservatives really pride themselves in being and uh, very like pro business, very like capitalist. But if you look at the arts, for example, honestly, what would during during lockdown? What would the world be like if there wasn't any books? If there wasn't any films? Yeah. If there wasn't any art? It's like we completely rely on art yet as if like they don't value it as much and it's just it's i actually did any of you take that test the kind of quiz the government and the government website like to, so you basically and i think they put it out like a week ago and they were like do this quiz and you can tell you what you can retrain us and and i came out as an actor <laughs>
0: <laughs> to something that's I not being like, funded
2: <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> And this is something I've like, probably got, I ain't got an interest in either, to be honest, but it was just like the kind of quiz. So yeah, it, it's just, um, it's just, it's, and I guess like it's, if anything, like this whole pandemic and everything has really, I guess exposed not only the deepest, like not deep in the quote with our society, but it's also proven what many people have been saying and arguing for a long time, that we are only as secure as the most vulnerable amongst us. So it's, um, even like honestly just, respect like for like people who've been protecting us like those frontline nhs staff and and key workers yet they basically won't even give them a pay rise of any like a single pay rise that they've been asking for how long yet there's a lot of performative politics that really does my head in because they'll all get people just get, like they'll, they'll clap and they'll always say good words and this is that but when it really comes down to crunch doing yeah. something meaningful they're nowhere to be seen, yet they can't give a pay rise to the, to the NHS staff, yet they're happy to, to so they've recently taken a pay rise of £3,300, all MPs, and they've all kind of agreed on that, and it's, why couldn't they just be satisfied with claps, why can not we just give them claps instead of giving a pay rise, but it's...
0: Yeah, unfortunately you can't feed your kids with claps, can you?
2: Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly.
1: So we've we've got this sort of very old-fashioned system um, that most people don't see that there's any way that they could be a part of it. What was it that changed for you that you thought actually this is something that I could get involved in?
2: A couple of things, really. So I think first I was really just tired of complaining, and I was like, I can't, I couldn't just keep on asking the wrong people to do the right thing. And I remember it was 2014 in the European elections. Um, and I remember it was when Nigel Farage and UKIP did really, really well. And I just remember thinking to myself, with everything that's happening, if I can at least make my small part of the world, my Sheffield, my community, that bit be better, that's at least me having a positive contribution. And I kid you not, like it's and I so I studied aquatic zoology at university, and then I did um it's like I did start business, which kind of failed. Well, it it did fail. It kind of failed, but it failed. But then it was. I then moved back to Sheffield and I was working at a housing charity shelter, so I didn't really understand understand much about politics, but I would literally would watch a lot of YouTube videos. I would read up a lot of like blogs articles in terms of local democracy, how the council works, who makes our decisions, how they elected, just everything I can really get my hands on. And I'm, I'm I've always been more of a visual learner than ever, so that's why I just like I would just watch a lot of videos on it. But and, and then I just was like, right, I'm just going to get involved. And then and the first uh, campaign I got involved in was trying to save the local library from closing down and uh, which was successful in. And then that was, I guess, the first political, like, like then I joined the Green Party because at the time, the Green Party was the only party that had a red line against austerity. There was the only party that stood up for free education and a lot of my values and principles kind of aligned most of the Green Party, so I basically joined. But I guess the earliest, the first memory I've got in campaigning of of any sort was when I was at university. Um, I set up an MMA uh, club at university and we really had bad sports provision, bad training times and I would work and I just kind of got in touch with other kind of some of the uh, sports club presidents and we got together and I organised a campaign just to kind of get better sports provisions and then that was the first kind of campaigning that I actually did of of any thought of any sorts
1: so literally you because you'd made a change there you thought if I've done it on this scale within within a a university I can do it on a larger
2: scale yeah and then it's um I guess I guess when I when I did at university and then I did like and that kind of did progress into like finding about how the students union works and collectively organizing and then I stood for the student union president, which I got elected in. But even at, even then, I kid you not, right? Even at that big age at university, I really couldn't tell the difference between left or right in terms of like political spectrum. I literally wasn't. Party politics was just way over my head. But I knew the issues I wanted to campaign. I knew I wanted to eradicate the hidden cost, cost of university fees. I knew I wanted to stand for free education. So I knew what it is I wanted to do and change. But in terms of the party politics, I had absolutely no idea. I even remember at the hustings, I got asked. If I was going to join the picket line and I had absolutely no idea what the picket line. So I was like I need to give it an so I just said yes and I just got <laughs> a massive round of applause. <laughs> but it's literally like I was just like, I didn't know anything about party politics or even politics in general, but I just knew about the issues I cared about and why I wanted to campaign And then lots of the things happened in the meantime. And then when I went moved back to Sheffield and then that European elections, that kind of really spurred me to kind of get involved in party politics. And then after that, then I kind of got got elected as a councillor and for where I lived, that was amazing. And then sort of to become Lord Mayor. And then just one thing kind of led to, to another. And then it was at the time of the European election, which we weren't meant to have. And I just remember thinking to myself, I guess Britain was at such a, I guess, pivotal moment in, it, in, in, in her history. And I just remember thinking to myself that I just couldn't allow the future authors of our country to be Nigel Farage and Boris Johnson and I just kind of believed that we had such a better story to tell that where we were all the protagonists and we were all putting out a real message of unity and hope and I just thought I'm just going to just stand in the European elections and even though we've never had a green MEP in the European elections in Yorkshire and Humber before and I just thought and um, and basically and then, and then and then i just went on a tour around yorkshire which was quite and uh, fun and then and um, got elected and what really I, I don't the way it works is every every local authority in yorkshire votes for you and you can't accumulate all the votes but sheffield really can because it helped close the lord mayor but bear in mind it's it's a very red labour city and then it's the lib dems opposition the fact that we the fact that um beaten by ten thousand votes, both from really kind of instilled me with so much pride and it was a bit of vindication. Mm. And so for me even if I had I had not won in any of in the other kind of parts of Yorkshire, just to just to know that Sheffield really came out and supported me really meant everything to me. But then yeah then there was European politics and and then yeah the rest is history.
1: You you talked in your book about like a big moment in your life was when your um when your mum brought home your first computer. Obviously like Big, big saving yeah. up and then going to pc world and getting the computer and it's it's such a, a like it's it's so kind of relevant with with what we talk about on the show all the time is like anything that you want to learn the internet is such an, an amazing tool to and and literally like you learn politics from from the internet that's incredible
2: but honestly I like I would say growing up like the internet and computer was my role model like I kid you not it was like everything like I needed to access and learn. Everything was basic. And plus, it just kind of just showed taught me that there was so much more to the world than the socially deprived community that I kind of grew up in. And it was just it, it, it was phenomenal. I even literally ended up starting a little side hustle from it. I used to um, download music from Kazar. And, and and I just used to basically create mixtapes. And it was at a time where I guess um in the school i went to it was just based everyone just was listening to hip-hop so i just used to create magids and uh, master mixes i got for <laughs> volume six <laughs> and i used to sell it for like one pound fifty or two pound a pop and then i used to, if anyone wanted like a personalized like mix and i used to charge him like 50px and i just i used to spend all my money in sweets basically but it was just that's what i was doing like year seven and like onwards but it was then um, yeah, the internet was and um, played a big, big bit, and it still continued. It it does till today, to be honest. But um, yeah, just getting that access to that computer and yeah, I, bizarrely, I remember the first thing I printed off it's a weird thing to kind of remember, <laughs> which is basically, <laughs> which is basically, I guess it was just I wanted to see if the printer was working, so I thought I needed to print something. So I just went and i printed printing off a picture of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's funny, I remember uh, the first thing that I ever printed off, uh, but like my dad brought home a computer when, he, when I was quite young and I just went onto Microsoft Paint, flooded the whole screen in black and then just got me eraser in <laughs> and a tiny white thing and just dotted loads of stars all over it and then just like printed it off a bunch of times and like i was just left as like a child like in front of this computer And my dad came in and he's like <laughs> i've just spent a fortune on all this ink and you just basically printed black page after black page after black page
1: <laughs> i printed off the um jolly roger cookbook i don't know if you remember that um, no, and then jolly
2: no, no. Roger rings bell, and
1: then someone in my school got suspended for having it, so I quickly threw it away. but um it was basically like very, very early internet days, and Jolly Roger cookbook was like how to how to home brew and like build your own bangers and stuff like that. It was just like really dangerous oh. stuff that a child should not be fucking around with
2: <laughs> what the heck
1: so moving on um from our our printing off past um <laughs> when when people think well certainly when i think of a lord mayor i sort of think of it as like a figurehead um that doesn't really do much um and and i think that traditionally that's probably the case is like these these it's almost like a bragging thing of like to say down to your mates at the country club like oh yeah you you've got you you've got your chains on it it's like oh yeah i'm the mayor but um but you actually really use the role to try and bring around some change like you're working 24 7 in that post
2: so you've got mayors and you've got lord mayors. So I think there's only in the country there's like six lord mayors because it's done in like if if it's like a major city, but it's they all have different um, responsibilities. So for example, like I the like chair the full council meeting. So in terms of like respons- responsibilities and powers, like the lord mayor could. Had responsibility of the agenda of the um, council meeting, which was a big thing in terms of what's going to be discussed and debated, and what like what we're going to vote on and stuff. But as as a whole, you're right, it is kind of a ceremonial role. But I guess for me, it was the way I saw it was it's it's a role, and I can really make something of it. And what like one of the kind of barriers I kind of came across and um, with the council and, and other people was I managed to like turn a role. For many years, even in Sheffield, that was seen as, like you kind of said, not as a, not having like hard power, but I really managed to gain a lot of soft power with it. Even by virtue of being able to engage more people and create more media interest than all of the council's comms team and all the councillors put together, which then became a real issue for the council. And it was like, well, how can this person have? And then it was always kind of, Then trying to find ways of dampening that. So it was, was, I literally utilized that and would like, like, even every month I would, um, every month I did this kind of creative campaign where, and so basically every month I did this creative campaign where I would focus on a specific um, issue. And so I knew I was going to be in post for 12 months. So I thought, I'm going to do like a calendar 12 months. I'm going to do a big cause campaign for 12 months. And then what I would do is I'd wear, I just, I put a message on a t-shirt, like a like campaign slogan on the t-shirt and I would squat somewhere inside the town hall's facilities and mainly on like a really kind of grand, kind of grandiose kind of table and I'd always wear a different hat for every picture and I'd always wear a different pair of Martins for every picture and always be somewhere different inside the town hall and honestly like for me it was quite interesting to see because people just lost shit. people just could be why is he standing in his <laughs> and like and, and for me it was like like there was there's that my angelo quote which is like people don't necessarily remember what you do or say but they remember how you make them feel and of course there's an element of me it was I, like especially when there's so much information out there and people's attention spams are getting shorter i was like how can i grab people's attention and then once i've got their attention feed them with kind of like positive like whatever kind of message I want to, want to basically do and basically it was literally I know it sounds stupid and ridiculous but just by virtue of just me squatting somewhere inside we'll just get people's attention and then like I'd always every like every picture because like I thought it was and it took ages because everything had to be choreographed like I, at times I'm literally having to um find a, a coffin. In, in Sheffield to kind of, like, to use as a prop. for, And then it was... It took, like... Is, uh, that People see a picture... It literally took, like, f- at least five hours just to bring together, bring to life, and get people to do it and stuff. And But then it was... and But then how I was dressing the pictures, how I would chair the full council meetings. So whatever t-shirt, a hat that I'd won, and it was always the thing where it was... I guess I'd, I'd keep people guessing in terms of what hat I'd bring into to the council that day. But also, not only that, it was... For me, it was just like honestly, just bringing the role to ordinary people and making people have a stake in the city and the civic role, and making them feel as if like my journey was their journey. So like even like for example, the Lord, if I was married to a woman, she'd be called the Lady Mayoress. If I was uh, married to a bloke, he'd be the Lord Mayor's consort. If I had a girlfriend, because it's so archaic, she'd be called the Lord Mayor's escort. Because it's just all fashioned, right? <laughs> but I like, and for me, it was just, I, I couldn't, I just thought, Do you know, what? just having the same person with me every time would just be a bit boring. So I literally would just tweet it out and I'd just get people, and I'd just pick people up uh, from the house and I'd just get them to come in for the day. Or Honestly, at the time, I just literally used to pick people up from bus stops and just take them to town or whatever if it was heading the same direction. But even like when I used to chair the full council meetings, I really, because one of my main focuses was arts and culture in Sheffield. I really um, wanted people to feel as if like this council chamber was for them and it was their space. So yeah. every council meeting I would um, have, I used to break up the council meeting halfway. And I used to invite a creative to come in and perform in the council chamber to the local decision makers. So I had a comedian, I had a shoe designer, I had a magician, I had, a, so you name it. And, it was just for me it was important and even though they were a bit nervous because they were like because if you look at the setting of it's a very beautiful really old and it's but it it was a bit nerve-wracking for them just but it was for me it was important just to kind of be like no this is your space it's important for you to kind of be here
0: yeah i think that's so great how you've actually you've changed the perception of what that office is because i think to most people on like the streets they would look at it and be like oh that's something for other people kind of how we talked about before with like big government It's like that's so far away from where I am. And even on a local scale, I think people would probably think, oh, that office, that building there is for people who aren't like me. But the way you've managed Mm. to bring that together of actually making it so it is something that we can be involved with, is I think is just the perfect way to to help promote it. And it's also going to make people think, because it's like there's obviously going to be a progression. No one's going to go from just learning about politics on YouTube to becoming a prime minister. But unless people take that first step and it's like the first step is going to be like following a path like you have where it's going and just making that first bit of movement. And then I can change here. And then how can I like scale this to be able to affect a much bigger community, affect the country?
2: Yeah, no, no, 100% spot on. And it was like, I guess even just by virtue of bringing people together, it really, I guess even the actions I was doing really managed to kind of also build my profile and really just great things about it is I'd always champion Sheffield on any platform or stage I would get with CNN, whatever it is, it's like locally, nationally, internationally. And yeah, it was, I guess it, at times it was definitely difficult, but it did open me up to lots of different opportunities and really just kind of take my message on a bigger scale. That Whereas Sheffield was necessarily just my remit, but then... As things were developing, I was really getting bigger platforms and then I was engaging with more people and yeah.
1: There's a little line that you said that is, um, what is tradition other than peer pressure from dead people? And <laughs> I just love that.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's true. It's like, it's a head. we used to have shit traditions where women weren't allowed to vote or... Um, just all sorts of but it's like it's because i'd always the thing i'd always used to people just use it like oh that's so like against traditions disrespectful wacko. but then it's like if something is not progressing anything or oh, what do you call it making things more efficient i get it there's some stupid tradition even i just probably do and i just back it that's fine but if i want to start new traditions just let me be but it's like a lot of people just with people. A lot of people were just scared of change.
1: It keeps us in the dark, doesn't it? It's it's like, oh, why are we doing this? Oh, we're just doing it because that's the way we've always done it. And the ch- the change yeah. only comes around when we when we decide to do something completely new.
2: Yeah. So literally, literally for example, this how ridiculous. So I I set up a UK suicide prevention charter and got a lot of uh, national people to kind of sign up to it. I had a bit of a backlash and because said, oh, you can't do that. That's not what Lord Mayor does. I'm like. Are you actually serious? I even like, and I created a post of and the Sheffield poet Laureate and in Sheffield, and they were like, who, "Who says you could do that?" I said, "I'm not asking." nobody yeah. told me to do i'm not i didn't ask for anyone's permission i'm just doing it it's like but then it's they just but like. he's
1: gonna have a problem with that like like
2: why, honestly why, why, haven't you got bigger so things surprised. to worry about do you know do you know what the fascinating thing is like he's he's ruining the, our city he's he's making poets
1: <laughs>
2: i do you, know, do you know this is this is how ridiculous it was right and i kid you not it's the council um i guess because for them it was just a struggle of power and influence mm-hmm. right? And what was interesting was because, and I did have some uh, some labour councillors who were friends, and they would tell me everything that was happening basically. And honestly, I I used to invite the whips, so basically like the whips from each of the political parties before the full council meeting. And I remember they saw a they saw the coffin that I kind of used for a prop, and they were like, "Why is there a coffin there?" (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) I just winding them up. I was like. you know guys i've got this great idea i'm gonna like do a bit of performance art in the council so i'm going to get carried in the coffin and i'm going to arise from the coffin and i'm going to basically chair the meeting from the coffin clearly joking (laughs) right they spent out their two hours meeting as a group they spent an hour and a half discussing what they were going to do if i was to actually come out in a coffin and how and it was it was just like it was it was um it it was they just like it's honestly a lot of them but you know a bit the bit that really hurt me the most was fair enough they literally tried to change the entire constitution of the lord Mayor, which is not changing a hundred and god knows how many years just to try and like like kind of wind me in but what really bothered me is when i used to invite um like creative to come into council chamber to perform they like more than half of them used to walk out and then literally, I'm not even lying to you, they used to wait outside the door until the performance was done, and then they used to come back in, because they basically was disagreeing with um, what I was doing, saying, it's inappropriate. And I'm like, I'm like, listen, it's my meeting, I'm doing what I want. You can either be childish and kind of walk out the room and disrespect the guests that we've gotten today. But um, yeah, it's, 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 I like, it's it's not, it's not like, I don't, it's, local democracy isn't this place where people listen to each other. There's like, there's people are reasonable people. So it really is a bit of a cesspit at times. So I'm being completely honest with you. It's uh, It's it can be shit.
1: Obviously the, the campaigns were like a really huge thing. And uh, and the first time you popped up on my radar was when the photo of you wearing the Donald Trump is a waste man. T-shirt just went mm. ridiculously viral and was just featured like everywhere. Um, yeah. Obviously when I saw that, I'm like, this guy's an absolute g like look at this guy like squatting with his with all of his chains on and his donald trump is a waste man shirt i think you're wearing a sombrero as well like just for the extra little yeah. dick and i'm like this yeah. guy's a g but i but i know that obviously with that when you have the bravery to post something like that you get some of the people like me who are fully supporting but then there's also a lot of naysayers that are going to come along with that as well this is normally yeah. a question that I I save for people who like do reality TV shows that we've had on the show, like. But it's kind of relevant for you. Did you have any sort of training in how to deal with this like wave that was about to come?
2: When I first became Lord Mayor, the picture that I put that was the first picture that went viral, and then everyone was doing news stories of. But it's put it this way: I didn't have any media training. Even when I asked, because normally Lord Mayor's got access to the council's comms team zero support i got some guys kind of like honestly like up until even like halfway into i said guys i could do support. zero support whatsoever so i legit like was doing everything that i could in terms of like and i had like two secretaries that were, that were helpful and stuff like that but in terms of like dealing with it n- nothing like that really and i just would basically just roll with the punches and i'll just do whatever i could and in all honesty so there was nothing to kind of prepare me for it or and then you just kind of like it's i guess it's a bit of a whirlwind at times because sometimes things are moving so fast you can't keep up and other people are telling you this has happened that has happened I'm like, what? And it's just, it's just, it's just a bit, and uh, it's, it's, just a bit mad uh, and times, to be. But it's, it's exciting. But of course, at the same time, you, there's a lot of shit that you get with it as well. Like it said, God, like, I like, I know, like, <laughs> friends mess with message me, oh, I'm mad you're on the EDL page this week again, or you know this person, and it's like just emails, letters, like, will that be death threats to like racism, everything, right? But thankfully, I'm quite thick-skinned. Like honestly, I just kind of like laugh it off. To be honest, I I did like what well, it was humorous ones. where the levels, of some like, some of the creativity, and I, I don't know. I quite admire insults where people have put in some creativity rather than just call you a cunt or a pr. I'm just like all right, yeah. but people like would literally would create gifts or actually paintings of like a dildo in me or something like that. Just something ridiculous, and it's actually quite hilarious. They kind of just see the amount of how much they actually care and put effort into their insults which is i guess like a bit more admirable than just calling them whatever but it was um put it this way it's saying i at the end of the day it's like my energy is limited i always would focus on the positive stuff as much as like because i used to keep a hate box in my office and i used to kind of keep a really positive box and like for every like hey but there was so much more positive stuff. i'd always focus my energy on the positive so even though at times i really did want to retaliate and kind of say something but it was like nah just save your energy for the positive things
0: did you use that kind of negativity to flip into like actually i'm going to use the energy they've sent me to just keep going and keep doing more things
2: 100 100 and you know what like listen like we're all human and of course i doubted myself a lot of times and of course at times, especially at the beginning, I had the imposter syndrome, and I'm like, What the heck? I just thinking somebody's going to catch me out that I'm a fraud anytime soon. But then you kind of just grow in confidence, and you know, like, there's times I'd be like, Are you going to do this, Majid? Like, are you sure you want to do this? So I'd be like, Damn But then I just would always have to te- remind myself that, Majid, listen, all of this is temporary. Like, it's nobody's. And the One piece of advice somebody gave, and it was the caretaker of the town hall, he was like, Majid, it, it, he goes, it's always better to get in trouble for something you did than get in trouble for something you didn't do. And in, in honesty, everything I was like, do you know what? Is anybody going to die? Am I going to get some heat? Yes. And the reality of it is, I just was like, I'm not, not to make it somber. I'm like, listen, we're all going to bloody die. Like, who really? What, what, what difference does it make? Kind of thing. And I would just basically just do what I was going to do and just deal with whatever the consequences or whatever the aftermath of that was. And like, for example, like it's, I was fully I was fully aware like in terms of like thought like I'm gonna come out of the council, I'm gonna cause just to give you an example, sorry, there's a mace there's a lady her role is the Lord Mayor's mace bearer. She's got a massive golden mace (laughs) from the Queen, right? This mace has to be placed in front of me, otherwise any of the votes that take place, if that mace is not there, is not legal. Like it's just the Queen's mace, it has to be there, right? so she would walk in front of me and like even ceremonies or like wherever especially when we were in the council chamber so she'd be like all rise for his right worshipful first citizen lord mayor imagine yada, my yada. and people would stand up and i would walk in and i'm like are you actually going to walk in with a t-shirt that says donald trump's a waste man as a so i legit with with full chest walk straight in i was like Please be seated. <laughs> and I'm literally straight into full, like, chairing mode. Like, and it's like, it's, people, I guess at that point, people were, like, kind of, like, thinking, what's he going to wear this type of-? But it's like, I, I remain in full, like, serious chairing mode, getting down to business kind of thing, right? And, like, of course, and the last thing I expected, honestly, were, like, some... I, I, sorry, to be fair, I actually expected it from the UKIP councillors, but I didn't expect it from the... It's Like, some of the Labour councillors would be like, oh, you'd, like... You need to get rid of that tweet. It's disrespectful. This is and that. And the thing is, Sheffield is the first city of sanctuary. It is literally the first refugee settlement place in the country. We've got a very long, rich history in welcoming people from the world. And plus, while the government was rolling the red carpet out for him, I just thought, listen, it's important to kind of get this message across. But let's be quite frank, right? Was Donald Trump going to come to Sheffield on his way to Rotherham and Chesterfield? No, he wasn't. Right? Yeah. But it was kind of like a, the kind of like s- symbolic gesture. But then what I didn't expect was. Bloody, um yeah because you banned him uh, didn't you?
1: you banned him from sheffield
2: yeah but then i had then i had like like um the chairman of boeing get in touch and saying it's completely like get rid of that tweet, like to, to the council and say that's like not good for sheffield like sheffield u.s relations this is and that and what, what sheffield like, u.s did... relations are there <laughs> no because there's a boeing factory in oh. sheffield it's the only boeing factory in europe's in sheffield right and for me, I was like, listen. And, and then the chief executive of the council was like, "You need to take it down." I'm like, "Bro, I'm, there's no way I'm going to take anything down." Like, and I was like, "Listen, if, if he wants to, like, if if he wants to me to explain to him why I made the character action that I did, I'll be more than happy to kind of um, speak to him." And then you literally had the U.S. ambassador commenting on it, and they had, and then he was just like things just went kind of up and. But I guess one of the most surreal moments was, and. Just to kind of be completely upfront, it's I, I believe like I, I believe we should have a republic, we should have an elected head of state. So I kind of believe in the sense of like we shouldn't have a monarchy system. I just think it's a waste of money and completely ridiculous in this day and age. Nothing personal about Queen Elizabeth. She's hardworking. She's lovely. All right. I just think the entire system of having a royal family is complete waste of money, corrupt everything. Right. And this was all kind of well known. Right. And. Um, because I know that the Daily Mail can run a story, but what I found really interesting was: Would you believe me? If I was telling you, I got invited to Windsor Castle, and I st- and I stayed a night in Windsor Castle. <laughs> it was just it was like, but so it was just like it's everything was just like and honestly, a lot. A lot of the whole year was a year of like it kind of felt as if like highs and lows. One minute I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing, or. How am I going to deal with this situation, this and that. But it's, um, I did everything, honestly, with the best of intentions. And the thing is, it's like people say, imagine you have to, you're representing everyone in Sheffield. But the reality is, you can't. As much as, like, when, we, there's not one shoe fits all for everyone in this city. Like, it's as much as I did everything with the best intentions. Like, for example, a lot of people would be pissed off and didn't like the fact of the idea that I wore a white puppy. And I've... I always wear a white poppy at Remembrance Sunday for the past seven years, right? Like, I don't know. I've always worn it, right? But when it came down to the uh, ceremony, uh, Remembrance Sunday, 100 years. What, what does the
1: Centenary. white
2: one represent? So the white poppy represents... Remembrance of the fallen soldiers who paid the ultimate sacrifice which is life But also remembers the people who didn't go the soldiers who didn't go out to us So the women and people in the who stayed behind to for the war efforts but more it's got an emphasis on peace in the sense of the best way to Remember these people is with a commitment of never again mm-hmm. and saying that we would not put people through this right, but what? I so I, but so this was a person. So I, I always wear white, puppy, but I still laid a red poppy on behalf of the city because it's a very British leader, and I hadn't no, no issue with that. But when I told like the chief executive people I'm wearing, I'm, like, I'm wearing my white poppy. I kid you, they said you're not invited. You're not invited to come to the uh, ceremony. I said but I'm the first. citizen. So I literally had to only once I got in place, and I had to put on my white poppy and sneak it through. But I know it sounds completely ridiculous. But they legit were saying, you, you you won't be allowed access because the Royal British Legion don't want you to kind of wear it. It's a, it's, it's a personal choice, I'm still wearing. To the point is that the actual Royal British Legion charity, and then I got a of kind of like backlash, but the Royal British Legion did actually tweet out the end of it saying no he he can wear whatever white poppy it's not like we're not a poppy police you can't be telling people what to wear. but what was interesting was even though some people still disagreed with me wearing a white poppy for a reason they said "Majid, we now we know what the white poppy is and we actually would discuss it in our household and we've never had that discussion before so even at times where people didn't disagree with me i mean didn't agree with me at least it was challenging in a sense that they were learning something new or something do you know what i'm saying?
1: It's like, I never say it, but that actually is political correctness gone mad. Like, I never say that phrase, but that's what it actually is there.
2: Honestly, I got so much abuse just for wearing the white puppy. Listen, I turned up, I was respectful, I was in the full regard. I could, I did everything perfect. But because I was wearing a white puppy, which literally was started off by as a peace, peace pledge union of women in the 1930s, to remember, I'm like... It was because you know what it's like, and I hate to say, but it is politicized. It's literally like it's the red, the poppy, Like it comes up year and year after. It's like, oh, you have to be wearing. like. I remember when I was doing interviews. I think I was on like BBC Sunday or something like TV like, during the Remember Sunday. And they're like, nobody was wearing it beforehand. And like, right, guys, we're going on air. Everyone, here's your poppy, You have to put it on. I'm like, like. You just put it on just a TV like nobody was wearing it before. Yeah. Nobody really cared, yeah, yeah. and I'm just like, and I just refused. I'm like, listen, I'm not wearing it. It's just like it's, it's just like it's. It's this pressure. It's like honestly, like it's like, is you're outcasted. Like it's like, what the heck? Like, how important
0: has it been for you to like, to, well, to make the most of that time that you had in office there, and basically use that as a platform? Because obviously, like that's just a short period of time, and you've got your whole career ahead of that. How important was it to use? that time as a basically as a platform as a stepping stone to all the things you can do in the future because i think it is really important to like if you just were quiet for that whole mayor period and just didn't really say anything do anything no one would have known you you wouldn't have got a level of fame from that where now you can actually help so many more people because of the level of fame and attention and influence that you have
2: do you know i mean honestly i wish and I was one of the people that kind of looked ahead, long-term kind of things, and I guess it's this pros and cons to in terms of having a career, and I've never really had much. I kind of sought myself to like ramble. It's just like, for example, once I knew the term was like term was coming to an end, it is what it is. But then you had the European election that we weren't meant to have, and then the European elections were happening. And with all that chaos and everything that was happening, I said, "Right, I'm just going to run in the European election." And then that kind of happened. Then I was basically let me we European Parliament represent Yorkshire but in Brussels. And then that was an interesting, amazing experience. And then it's like, yeah, like it's I 100% grateful. And I'd be lying to you if I was to like say everything was done for hard work alone, because we you know hard work alone doesn't get you far enough. Like there needs to be sacrifice. Like would that be my? Mother who made sacrifices, friends who grounded me, people in Sheffield that believed in me and voted for me. And it's, I guess it's remembering them, but also a look. Like, let's be honest, like it's look like, um, but they always say what is look is uh, when preparation meets opportunity. And it's just so much things to be honest. And I am really grateful that I have got a bit of a platform where I can continue to, I guess, speak and kind of use what, the influence that I've got. To kind of fight, basically, have some sort of work for good, because yes, as long as I'm ha- as long as I feel like I'm having a positive contribution to those around me in whatever capacity, I-, I-, I feel fulfilled. And in all honesty, and every I guess everyone's got some degree of influence if they look within their own lives as well.
1: So you've just brought out your book, um, and it's kind of your manifesto, uh, which I think is a really like cool um, direction to go with it. The first and the first sort of chapter in the manifesto is about kindness um, and how important kindness is. One thing I really struggle with is how do we deal with kind? How do we like utilize kindness, especially if we're dealing with like dirty racists and really bigoted people who are very uh, set in their ways?
2: Do you know, honestly, a lot of times people are angry, and I completely get it, and they've got every right to be angry but i feel like the anger's misdirected because there are a lot of people who are actually hurting and suffering for various reasons but it's due to basically if you're all like, like for example if you've never met an immigrant or refugee and your only source of information is the tabloids and all they're telling you is negative pure shit that this is that's naturally that's what you're going to that's what you're going to believe and i guess it's even like, in terms of disagreeing with people, I, first and foremost, I always think to myself is if I've got different, like, a race or whatever, I, honestly, I would still, I would I'd probably, like, I'd still, I'd still have a, like, show them respect and kind of speak to them because I don't, like, think it's like fighting fire with fire doesn't really necessarily work at times, but I guess there's a time and place for that. But I guess it's, I don't know. It's. An, I always think I'm a firm believer of having difficult conversations, regardless of whatever the situation is. Just because, if we're not going to have those difficult conversations and try and find some reasoning and try and put out the bigger message in terms of like, yes, we're all bloody different. Like, we all got different backgrounds, whatever. But it's fundamentally, we have got a lot. I, I put it this way, I've got more in common with a white working class person in 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 Doncaster than i have with the, the somebody who's a, then the conservative party down much more at times it's i guess like it's easy people want us to kind of be divided and kind of just working against each other but it's, I, it's it's hard mate i'll be honest with you in terms of like because sometimes as at the same time i don't give it any like like breathing space Racism, like if i see i'll always i guess depends who's saying and how they're saying and what the situation is but I will always quickly shut it down, or I'll, I'll, or I'll politely be persistent, or I'll politely correct somebody, say, "No, like you bang out of order there, like this, or whatever it is." Just because if you just allow it to fester, to grow, it's just gonna grow and grow and grow. To be honest, so it's it's difficult, and I guess it's it's a difficult situation. It can be a difficult situation to manage. But the thing is, is to do something. Like inaction is the worst thing you can do. To be honest, and. The reality is, people are comfortable at doing different things, and I've got. I'm like, we're not like we can't expect everyone to kind of, have the courage to kind of do that. It's it's just, it's just not possible to be honest. So, whether that be, and literally, would that be like speak, like speak, speak to your family about it on the dinner table? What you, what happened? Or like, speak to, or even like comfort somebody. there's just do something. Like it's especially in an age where we're seeing like, like the whole black lives matter bringing racism to the forefront of people's consciousness it's being not racist is really not enough we all kind of have to be anti-racist and kind of instead of being passively sympathetic towards it just actually just being actively being anti-racist is is the thing to do
1: i think one thing that you do really well um is that when i think of people that i know who've lived in this country for as long as you have they would say that they're british because by like because they came here when they were like two or three it's like if you've lived in here and now you're 30 then you are british do you know what i mean but what you you do is you say i'm an immigrant refugee and i think that goes goes a long way to like help normalizing it because i th- i think that you get that classic thing of of someone who's maybe like probably not like mixed with multiple cultures or whatever and when they do meet someone that is a refugee and they go oh no I don't I don't mean you I just mean those ones and there's there's sort of they have this like weird view of like oh no you're cool because I've met you and you're all right
0: (laughs) yeah there is that phrase of they're actually all right like the amount of times (laughs) you will hear people and if it's about kind of like people's like gender preferences race or anything as soon as someone's actually met someone and had a conversation, it's like, oh, they're actually okay.
2: <laughs> it is, and especially when it comes to this whole like good immigrant versus bad immigrant <laughs> kind of thing. Like there was a whole period where like, like you're only a good immigrant. If you win a baking competition, like Nadi Hosedo, you're more <laughs> and you win a kind of gold medals for us, then you're all right. If, and it's like, it's why can't people just live normally and just live a normal, decent life and kind of just be accepted and for, basically and uh, for who they are but it's I'd like to think like times are changing but it's I can't help but feel but with with Donald Trump with even like Boris has literally been picking up a lot of from Donald Trump this whole kind of far-right rhetoric kind of normalizing and I think like, like honestly, a lot of I, there's not like in my lifetime the far right across Europe and the UK have not been as and America's not been as galvanized as much as they are now just because the language the way we do everything is normalized through leadership and people think it's acceptable kind of thing. so it's, it's like it's a very scary time to be honest
1: yeah i mean I'm I'm not very educated when it comes to, to politics. I, I sort of obviously notice little things around me, and I am on Twitter, so I do see a little bit of stuff. But it's not like I kind of actively um, seek mm. out what's going on. Um, yeah. I don't I don't need that headache. I'm uh, I'm busy painting. <laughs> um, but but from from what I can gather, it just seems that it's a, a very easy method of distraction um, by creating this mythical evil that that apparently exists and it's a great way to hide because it does seem currently where we should be talking about coronavirus deaths and the the way that the government has dealt with the crisis and instead a lot of the headlines are talking about our quote-unquote refugee crisis Um, and that just seems like a, a perhaps it's a way of hiding behind something that is is Built to be something that it's perhaps
2: not. 100%, mate. It's 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 straight out such such an old school out of the playbook. Literally get people distracted and get them basically f- fighting against their differences, which is so nothing compared to what basically the state everyone else is doing. But it's it's and especially do you know it's like for years we were told that this this government told us that they were really trying hard to kind of, it wasn't possible to house all the homeless people then the pandemic hit then they house all the homeless people <laughs> yeah. like for years we got told by the government that we couldn't borrow beyond a certain point then the pandemic hit and we're borrowing record amounts and they're basically just, just two examples so all those years we were told that things couldn't be done we were it was utter bullshit it was absolute bollocks so if it's possible for the pandemic, it's possible for all other issues that we face. And I guess with that knowledge, we all kind of have to really confront our local authority, national, especially the national government. And because it, it really isn't a matter of economics, it's always been a matter of political will more than anything else. And especially like the realms of what can be done have dramatically expanded over the recent events. And as a result, we really have to I guess, really reconsider what's possible and be more ambitious and, and demand more because it's. We can't. I guess what I find really difficult and kind of how it's like at, at such. At the worst possible time, we've got the worst possible people running the country. And basically, that's how I uh, say it in, in, in all honesty. But it's. I guess. I don't know. Just dis- like despair isn't really an option. And. Like it's not an option for me, it's not an option for you, for anybody else. It's the problems that we face didn't just come down from the heavens. Like they were man, they were they were made by bad human decisions and mainly by men in suits. And just by having good people making good decisions, we can kind of turn things around.
0: So if something bothers someone and they want to be able to confront their local authority or try and make a difference in society, how can people go about doing mm. that? because obviously, like voting is really important, but it can only be done once every four years. There's only so much you can do. So what can people do to get out there and actually if they' if something's affected them, if they want to make a change, how can they do that?
2: And do you know, its I always say, do you know politics isn't the only way to bring about positive change, and it's not, I'd, I'd argue is it the most effective? I guess, first, we definitely need good people in politics because. It's, it's the vehicle we've got for democracy. It is what it is. We need to get better people in politics. But at the same time, there's so much other things that people can do. Like, honestly, as simple as, like, starting a petition, like, if you've got money, donate to an organisation, somebody, or cause that you care about. And, like, find, like, I guarantee you that one thing that you're passionate about that you want to campaign for or that thing you want to campaign against, there will be other people that care about the same things as you do. So work with other people. Facebook groups. Where there's there's always groups that basically, like, if if you're a writer, if that's what the skill set you have, write something about it. If you're a comedian, tell some jokes. It's we've we've all got our own set of skills and things that we can do, and it's basically utilising that. And of course, I'd always say organising collectively, and we can, we're always we'll get more than we're all, we're just more effective by working together
1: so you touched on it at the beginning of the interview um, can we talk a bit because i've never heard you talk about this um, what happened with your digital marketing agency that didn't work out
2: <laughs> it's, it's, it's not it's a long story short so basically after um after i uni me and two friends and um, separate each marketing business with through the enterprise center at the university I had different vision for it than what they did and I just ended up basically just leaving and then it kind of folded after that. We we did it for like a year and we're still good mates. But yeah, so it was kind of like a year thing. and So yeah, it just didn't basically just work out.
1: Did it provide you with any sort of big lessons?
2: Yes, it kind of did in the sense of
1: don't work with your mates <laughs>
2: no honestly that's like, you, you laugh right but you know like i learned that lesson properly and uh, well it's not in terms of hiring your friends it's a real thing right because i did it in, when i was when i was MEP. i hired two friends right one of them was absolutely terrible and like it i be honest it, it didn't end up well let's put it that way right but the thing is like it's there's nothing wrong with hiring your friends as long as they can do the job and they're capable and they like fit the crowd and they want that's perfect it's cool but hiring your friend because you think he'd be cool and it'd be alright it, it 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 doesn't work and uh, to be honest so your
1: uh, mum is obviously um very proud of you everything that you've achieved um but you kind of mention in the book that um the the parental hope in the beginning was that you might be doctor, lawyer, um, yeah. like uh, lots of religion, marriage, all of these things. Um, and But now, obviously, you've, you've trodden your own path and she's, she's hugely proud. What happens at that in-between stage? Because I know a lot of our listeners kind of struggle with that. Here's what my parents want me to do, but here's what I want to
2: do. Yeah. Do you know, first and foremost, parents... Any parent wants what is best for their children, like regardless. But it's just that what they think is best might not be necessarily what you want to do or what's best for you. Like my mother, I, she, for her, like the best for is what success will. So, so my mom, in whatever limited views that she has, she thought, well, a doctor, lawyer, that is what success is because it provides a good income and it provides stability and it's a respectable job. That's what my of this is. You have to just take one of these kind of traditional. So God forbid anybody talks about the arts or anything creative. She'd be like, What? You like it's just like because she just like she doesn't equate that to success because she doesn't know anybody, she's not seen. So for her it was kind of like hard to kind of fathom and to see that success. And I don't really blame her for that. Even politics, she doesn't come from political but she doesn't like it's not the, it's not that political so it's like it's again she is like so it was a case of like just like her giving me lectures and me just ignoring her most of the time to this <laughs> and' just be like I'm just gonna do what I'm gonna do like I'm just gonna keep yeah and it's like it's yeah I guess in some ways I'm still trying to figure out certain things I've always I'm always first I, I first I can never be bored and I've always got ideas always things that I want to do but it's just having the focus to be like no imagine you can't do all those things you just need to say put your time and energy on this specific project and then that and that otherwise you're not going to get anything done
1: so i i think what um comes across about you and it's come across in this interview and and all the research i've done about you is that you were kind of unapologetically yourself um and and especially like the way you express because i'm i'm very much the same like the way i i use clothing to express myself and and you did the same thing Mm. um how do you, how do you kind of, how did you get to that stage where you were like comfortable to present your real self to the world and like the confidence to sort of stand on stage and, and like, how how did you get to that stage?
2: I guess to a certain degree, I've always been someone who's been quite confident. And you know, I think this is also comes from a place of like, I know, like, it's, especially at the beginning, it wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to do this. Is like, I was fucking dreading. I was like, what are people going to think? but then I guess just by doing that like even though I knew it was going to be difficult I was nervous and I was scared I said fuck it I'm just still going to do it and I'm just going to and then I just persevered, and I'm just like listen I'd, at this point I just don't really give a shit what people think and then also do you know what I just started getting a lot of faith and belief from confidence by other people supporting me and really like backing me Yeah. and be like and then that kind of gave me confidence as well and then I kind of and especially you know in Sheffield and across like cross borders, my biggest allies were the the creative sector in Sheffield and beyond like the universities the charities young people but they will the support the real but in terms of like the council and some of the older establishments weren't so favorable to me but the other other people were but i guess i've just been like listen i genuinely and then it just gets to a point where i'm just like i i just don't give a shit. but then as, as well the thing is people might like people i had someone say to me i remember clearly like, imagine i don't agree with the way you dress or how you act but fundamentally i respect you because it takes a lot of bottle to actually go against the grain in an environment that tells you you have to conform and you have to do this this, and that and honestly even you know, just by virtue of literally me being unapologetically myself it just generally does inspire other people and if it, other people feel if that like how do you how do you do that if is it, and I have people always speak to me about this as well, so it it does have a knock on effect and even the stupidest things people are like, oh I've always thought I wanted to wear it. like I just thought maybe I couldn't do I'm like, bro, just do you like it's 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 the reality is as well, a lot of the times is we put a lot of barriers in in front of ourselves, let alone other people. So I guess it's it's we can be our worst enemy at times.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um. So you've you've obviously always been really supportive of like the creative sector. Um. What's what's your main piece of advice for the creatives?
2: I guess the thing that kind of that holds, in my opinion, what I kind of like is a lot of people at times just are just just the fear of like losing or the fear of fucking up or the fear of. Not but for me honestly everything that has been worthwhile in my entire life that I've ever done has always come from a place of vulnerability especially vulnerability and I'm being like Do you know what i'm like, it, but it's it, it's the birthplace being it's the birthplace of so much amazing things so it's I, I always find that's what holds back a lot of people and i get it it's 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 different I feel like it's and i'm sure it's the same for so many over like young know, ones like Getting raised, you always told like you can't always be safe. You can't show any vulnerability. This isn't that, and it's like literally the strongest, most courageous thing you can possibly do. If there was any measurement of courage, it'd be vulnerability, surely. So for me, it was just like I like it's. I always kind of feel like that's what kind of holds people back.
1: Amazing, hey. dude! Thank you so much. This has been really fun.
2: No, thank you, guys. It's been a real pleasure.
1: Tell people where they can find you online and um any details about the book
2: um (laughs) magic magic on twitter facebook instagram book you can find in all your good bookstores but yeah guys it's been a real pleasure and i wish you guys nothing but success and i look forward to watching a couple of your other podcasts as well
0: oh thanks so much dude awesome thank you dude